Okay. Welcome. How you doing, David? I just want to um, mute everyone. There we go. Okay. Um, so I want to do a quick, like, a, a three-minute zip through 17 chapters, okay? So a Jew is composed of a soul that is of creation that is scared stiff of dying and is doing everything it can to solidify its its existence and of a Jew that ever and of a soul that is not of creation that has got no fear of death because death is not applicable to it um, and is just completely selfless okay um, the soul is made of Bina and Das, that's the intellectual faculties, and then the emotions is primarily love and fear or awe and, and combinations thereof. We said that Torah is, um, the, there's the garments of the soul, which is thought, speech and action, ways of expressing itself. Um, and we explained that Hashem and his Torah are one. And that when we learn Torah, it's like the, it's like the soul ingesting bread okay so mitzvahs are considered like garments they enclose the soul and learning torah has an added it's also that and it has an added uh uh element of that it's like um ingesting so to speak ingesting hashem if you could say such a thing um we spoke about the klipas noiga which is the light klipa um which is the realm which we can lift up it's accessible it's permissible and then we spoke about the dark clipper which is called the gimoclipus timaeus that is what we also call forbidden that we are not able to lift up and um, we have to just stay away from that um, we got into chapter 19 we spoke about the different kinds of souls uh, or the different kinds of jews we've got the tzaddik the benoni and the russia uh, according to the breakdown of the Tanya, the tzaddik has got perfect emotions. He only wants things that are godly um, and he's got perfect behavior. He only acts uh, according to the Ratz and Hashem. The Russia, on the other hand, call him the sinner, whatever, the Russia, on the other hand, his emotions aren't in line with God. He has negative emotions. He wants things of this world. And his behavior is also not, uh, not, not perfect. He has also negative uh he also has um uh he also does various okay and we said the benoni the guy in the middle doesn't mean that he's got half various and half mitzvahs the benoni is imperfect internally meaning he wants things uh, and fears things of this world he has love and fear of things of this world uh, but he behaves perfectly his, his behavior, his garments are always in a line with Ratzon Hashem, meaning that he never does an Avera and he always cashes in uh, on any mitzvah opportunities that present themselves to him. Um, and then we finished it off by, by explaining what we didn't really call it this, but the, the Rebbe at the beginning of the book talks about the long road and the short road to Hashem. We're going to speak in this class about the short road, but the long road, which is basically the big hall game that we're in, involves meditating. I don't, the word meditating has got such like bad connotations uh, that, that it involves um, directed thinking. Yeah, I call it meditating, but thinking about Hashem as much as you possibly can in whatever 
in in according to your level and if you do that and you and you stick with it with um consistency and depth you will begin to transform your actual emotions and they will become more godly but that's the long game okay and we're all we're all enjoined by the rebbe to to do this uh, but we're talking years this is this is going to take years so these next chapters which is chapters 18 to 25 are describing what the rebbe calls the short way Okay, so this is like a, an emergency break glass kind of thing, um, but it's a much less um, intellectual process. And I'm actually not so scared, Shem should help, of giving over this, these seven chapters, or eight chapters, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, these eight chapters in 40 minutes, because they actually really fit together very neatly they're one thought although i could i literally could talk about any of these chapters for hours and hours literally um to talk about them as one unit is not um is it makes a lot of sense so the the class today is called if you'll die for it live for it that's basically the summary of the entire class so Imraga, as like a spoiler alert kind of thing um or this is a spoiler i'm giving you over the entire thing we're going to break it down now but the basic idea behind all of these chapters is the rebbe um explains to you that you would die for hashem if push came to shove we'll talk about that as well hashem um and it makes sense if you're prepared to die if you're prepared to die for something that you would live for it for example uh ask a guy in you know in manhattan no problem no, nothing against people who live in manhattan but a guy who's a workaholic and ask him if he would give his life for his children and he probably would say yes and then ask him well why don't you spend any time with your children and he would be stumped and the reason why is basically of an insanity, because if you're prepared to give your life for something, then you should be prepared to dedicate time to that thing in your life. And it's only because of an insanity that we do this actually on a regular basis, things that we deem more important than our life, we actually let go of and pay you know, pay very little respect to, and that's called an insanity. We'll get into that as well, Hashem. Okay. So this is how the this is how it basically goes. The nefesh alakis has got a body, and and it's got a head, so to speak, and it's got clothing. Okay, the head of the nefesh alakis is its chokhmah bina and das, its intellect. The body of the nefesh alakis, again, conceptually, obviously, it doesn't have any actual physicality to it. Uh, is the emotions, love and fear and mercy and the other emotions that mix in with that um it's clothing like we said is thought speech and action and as such it also has a soul the soul of the soul we could call emuna or we could also call it the yehida um it doesn't really matter what we're going to call it the access the way we access the soul of the soul is through the level of hochma hochma is the highest 
kind of conscious level of the soul. In a sense, it's not really, it's not really like a part of the soul in that it's kind of an interface between the subconscious levels of the soul, the levels that are called makif, surrounding, and the levels that are uh, the levels that are panimi that we do have a relationship to. So chokhmah is like the interface. So through chokhmah, we can access the soul of the soul. Okay. The soul of the soul is what people on maybe on a simple level refer to as the pintaliyid, the point of, how do you describe the pintaliyid? The, your, uh, the pintaliyid, that's what we call it. The point. Is that, Shmuel, is that Kesser? Uh, you could call it Kesser. I don't want to use the word Kesser because it, it might get confusing, but you could call it, you could call it, there's different levels of Kesser, but you could call it that if you want. But it's really the spits of Kessa. Yeah, Yaakov, what are you saying? I always thought that the Pintaliyid, the Nakuda Panimi was in the heart of Pintaka. So that it, it is, and, and but it's also above, in that when we're talking, it depends on what level you're talking, what Bechina you're talking, but the highest point and the deepest point are the same thing. It just depends if you're talking concentric, concentric, like that or levels like that. So the highest point of the soul is called is called emuna, and we could also say that the deepest point of the soul is called emuna. It's the same the same idea. So when we call it when we call it umka deliba, we're referring it to on that concentric level, and when we call it kesa, we were we or emuna, we're referring to it on the on the on the linear level. Is that is that the chelik al kaimimal, mamish? No, it's a, it's the soul of that. The maybe the mummish. I, I don't know. You could, it, it depends how you learn it. You could, but yeah, either way, you could say that. Okay, so the long path, like we said, is his boininess on godless Hashem. Remember, godless Hashem means what you know about God. God is not big, nor is he small. Those terms are not relevant to him, but to us, he's big. So being misboiling on godless Hashem means think about what you know about Hashem and everyone has different things that they can think about that are going to make a difference to them. The short path is remembering the fact that you would give up your life for God. Okay. And this is, this is now we're going to get into the concept of self-sacrifice. And this is, in my opinion, the, the foundation of the entire Sefer Tanya understanding what self-sacrifice is and the way we're going to understand it is by paying attention to the to the example of self-sacrifice that the Rebbe gives us he gives us the example of a secular Jew and the question is obviously why not you know there were there were tremendous even throughout time like Rebbe Akiva for example why don't we talk about Rebbe Akiva um, why do we specifically speak about a secular Jew and it's super important why we do that self-sacrifice self-sacrifice means giving of the self now i've i just was like this week to to well, actually a few weeks ago to learn something that will help us really understand this um and we can understand it through avram avinu's test of the akeda of giving of sacrificing his son yitzhak um, this is a different way of understanding it that I don't think probably anyone would have heard here, but it's amazing. The test of Avram Avinu, the biggest taiva of, the, of that generation, 
was child sacrifice. People killing their kids for Molech, for their God, whatever it was. Um, and don't be fooled into thinking that they were just doing it like this wasn't a sacrifice. The, the nature of the human being is that he's connected. She's connected to their child in an incredibly powerful way, no matter who you are. Sacrificing your child to your God was not an easy thing. These people weren't crazy people. Yeah, they were trying to do what they felt was the most difficult thing they could do for their God. And Avram Avinu was walking around at that, in that generation, screaming at people saying, no, this is not what God wants from you. He does not want you to be killing your children. And they were still pushing themselves to kill their children. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if one of these guys came up to Avram Avinu, they put a gun to his head or whatever, and they said to him, listen, go and kill your son or I'll kill you. What do you think Avram Avinu would have done? There's no question Avram Avinu would have given up his life. That was his cause. That was his, we're going to call it shita. That was his shita. We don't kill our children. You want me to kill my child? No, I will die before I will kill my child. And that was the test of the, of the, of the Akedah. Hashem turned around to Avram and said, kill your child and Avram said okay that's giving up your shita that's giving up your cause and that's what we call in the shema that's the deepest part of who you are so when William Wallace from Braveheart said they may take our lives but they may not take our freedom he was talking about the level of cause that's that's actually self-preservation what's happened is he's now identified with his cause and to further himself which is now his cause they've merged into one in the most profound way he'll give up his life that is the highest level a non-jew can come to the jew can give up the jew can give up his shita his cause and that was the foundation of yiddishkeit that's why avram avinu that's the whole support that's the whole story of the akeda that he gave up his shita for hashem that's the deepest level that's 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 the shot in mesiris nefesh it's not mesiris aguf you're not giving up just your body your identity you're giving up your very Nefesh, you're giving up your ideology. You're giving up yourself, exactly. That's that's why it's called self-sacrifice, Masur's Nefesh. You're giving up yourself, not your body. That's a that's a that's a small, that's you know, that's a small part of it. We're also requested to give up our body. That's Bechol Nafshacha. But Bechol Moidecha is the giving of yourself, of, of who you are. You can only do that because you have a peace of God, you are connected to God, that's what's gonna, that's what's able to give up the shita. That's why a Jew can Wait, be- Why are you calling that, why are you calling that Bechol Meodecha? That's not the pshat in Meodecha. Meodecha is that which is external to you. Your, it's no, your stuff. It's your stuff. Or it's- I'll get, I'm not gonna get into that right now, but I wrote an essay on that. It's a very important point, but that's the, the, the Ica, the Ica identification that we have with something is with your money. And that's, that's the, that's, uh, it's actually, because it goes in levels. Levavacha, 
nafshecha, b'chol mo'idecha is deeper than b'chol nafshecha. So although Rashi says it's your possessions, it doesn't just mean giving up your possessions, it means giving up what you've identified with. That's, that's, really, what it's, that's really what it's talking about. And that's like his kikor v'lecha hadavah mo'id. Yeah, and moide ani is also the Russian, is the words mo'id, the letters mem alef dalet. The, the word mo'id, whenever you see the word mo'id in the Torah, you are in extremely sacred, you're, you're touching extremely sacred ground. The word mo'id is, is, uh, is, is very holy, very, very holy. With the, I don't know if there's holier words, but when, wherever it says mo'id, it's, uh, it's a very holy thing. So anyway, so now what happens is when, when, uh, when somebody is given the ultimatum, a Jew is given the ultimatum, your God or your life, meaning not your religion. The, the reason why the Tanya gave a secular Jew as the example of Messias Nefesh and not a religious Jew is because the religious Jew's shita is his religion. That's his cause. So non-Jews have given up their lives for their religion, you know, endless times throughout history. But the Kiddush of the Jew is that a secular Jew will give up his life for, for his connection to God. Okay, And now you could say maybe that not in every case that wouldn't be the case. But the, the, the Rebbe says, which means in the majority of cases. Um, and there is, there is the ability that somebody can come so disconnected um, and so covered over with really the problem is thinking. Um, that the, the, his lavush of thought can become so thick that it could actually it could actually overwhelm this. But but that that's a, that's an anomaly. Um, the the way it basically works is that when the the Jew is presented with the ultimatum of your God or your life, and it is a um, and it is a a real um what's the word uh it, it it's impossible to um uh teich how is it teich it's impossible to translate no no explain yeah no. it's, it's impossible to explain it away like this isn't going to destroy my connection so when a jew is faced with the ultimatum of serve this idol bow to this idol or i will kill you the 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 chokhmah in his soul so to speak oh you could either say it flares up or it opens up and allows the it allows the the the, the emuna to flow through and it and it nullifies the system that the the intellect and the emotions and the jew so to speak is unable he's actually unable to not give up his life that's the ultimate expression of god in his world when the Jew gives up his life for God, that's the ultimate expression of God in this world. Now, if we are real with that and we understand and we believe that we would be giving up our lives for God, now the Rebbe goes the next says, Let's keep that, keep that to the side. Now the Rebbe goes off over the next three chapters from chapter 20 to 22 into the concept of Achdus Hashem, divine unity. Achdus Hashem, Hashem is one, does not mean that there is only one God and there's not another God. 
uh, it means that there is nothing else other than God. Ein od milvadoi. So the pasuk says in Malachi, "Ani Hashem lo ishanisi." I never changed. And the and and uh, the Mekubalim and and the uh, everyone understands that as that with the introduction of creation, the chiddush of creation, no change was affected in God. So now that's difficult to say. In fact, that seems impossible to say because I'm here. Now, I don't care how small I may be. If God is very, very, very big and I'm very, very, very small, fine. But I still exist. I know that I exist. So how can it be that Hashem didn't change in any way, that his unity before creation was not impacted or dented or blemished after creation? So the Rebbe gives us, again. I, I, we could literally talk about this for hours and hours. Um, the, what the Rebbe says here, Yakov, it's difficult for me to keep, I can't keep reading and teaching. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking after, sorry, man. But um, the, the Rebbe basically gives us the first inkling to understand that the, um, the world was created through speech. Now, it's so profound to understand when we understand what speech actually is, it's, 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 it's amazing. So the world was created with speech and he says that the world was actually created with one word. Okay. Now the Rebbe turns around and says, now let's compare that one word to your ability to speak. You could speak endless, infinite words. So already on a quantitative level, on a, on a numerical level, on a quantitative level, that word is completely nullified to your ability to speak. Now, your ability to speak is born from your ability to think. Now, the way that the Rebbe explains it is that speech is oisius gasus, which means um, coarse letters. And, and thinking, thought, is what he calls oisius dacos, which means refined letters. So there is an element of letters. We're not going to get too much into that right now, but that's a very deep subject. But there is an element of letters, a strong element of letters in thought, but there are different quality of letters. So the power of speech is nullified to the power of thought on a quantitative level. Uh, sorry, on a qualitative level. The power of thought that comes from your emotions, and emotions now are in the realm of without letters. For example, a child who doesn't know how to speak will clearly say, oh, oh, give me, give me, without using the word give me, because emotions, the desire to go towards or away are without letters. So the, the power of thought compared to our ability to emote or to feel is a qualitative nullification again. And our emotions are born of our intellect, which is well beyond letters, which is another quantitative, sorry, another qualitative nullification. So when we compare that one word to the being of the one who spoke, the actual being, there is no word it's absolutely nullified. 
but we can understand it in a different way, which I think is going to help us a little bit, a little bit better, is the concept of a moshal, of an analogy. When we give an analogy, what we're doing is I'm basically transferring information from my mind to your mind. Okay, the teacher whose mind is bigger, I don't know if that's the case here, but in a moshal is given when the teacher has a bigger mind and he needs to transfer the information into a smaller mind, he encodes the information in, in a relatable topic. And then, so to speak, the information moves from the teacher's mind into the student's mind. And in the student's mind, it is unzipped, okay? And it is allowed to be as it actually is meant to be in the mind of the student. So the, the concept of the Moshe of the analogy is basically a means by which we transmit information. And that's exactly what letters and words are. That's exactly what words are. Words are made of letters. When I say to you, I love you, what I'm actually doing, it's irrelevant if I say, I love you, or Ami Ohevotcha, or you, I love, or there could be nuances, but just try and understand before you try to not understand. That when I'm saying to you, I love you, those words are absolutely arbitrary. The actual sounds, those eight letters split into those three groupings are absolutely arbitrary. I could use any words with any sounds as long as we understand. So what's actually happening is I'm transferring me to you. That's what speech is. Real speech. Real speech means you're transferring either things you feel or things you know. We're not talking about what's called pit put, which means talking nonsense. Real speech means communication. And communication means I'm expressing my emotions or my knowledge. And that means I'm moving me. And we, like we said, you, the, the, the soul, the body of the soul is made out of what you know and what you feel. So when I speak to you, I am transferring me into you. So from my perspective, there really is no words. There's just me. That's what this world is. This world is a moshal. It's an analogy. What's this world a moshal for? It's called the moshal kadmoini. When I speak to you, what am I enclothing? I'm enclothing myself. The world is a moshal. The nimshal is Hashem. I thought the Torah is the moshal kadmoini. The Torah and the world is the same thing. That the the it's the the this world is a manifestation of the Torah. Of the Torah. Yeah. So 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 Hashem's that's what Hashem is doing. He is he is giving himself to another. So there is no world, and there's no Torah if you want to think of it like that. There's just the Rabbeinu Shloim, and there's the other. Now, that's a little bit difficult to understand because the other is also him as well, but we won't go there, okay? But from the divine perspective, there is only one. There is no creation because from his perspective, there is just him. We are him encoded. 
So by him, there's only him. So we can understand it also um, with the marshal of a dream. When somebody dreams, I don't want to call this world a dream. That's very wet, that's very Eastern. And we don't look at this world as a dream. We look at it, we could call it a thought, but not a dream, where the world is made of the mind of the one dreamer. The thought, the, the dream is made of the mind of the one dreaming. There's nothing extra. But on top of all of these mashalim, the most profound marshal that I've come across is the marshal of the LCD screen, liquid crystal display. Everyone knows what that is? You're looking at one right now, I'd imagine. Most people are looking at an LCD or LED. They work in the same way, basically. That basically what you're seeing is a screen with a, a white, the whole screen is a big white light. Yeah, the back of the screen, the screen's in layers without getting into it too deeply. The screens has layers and the, the backmost layer is a big white light, massive white light, yeah? Laid on top of that screen is another screen. It's, it's more complicated, but just to understand it. On top of that screen is laid a layer of millions of colored filters, okay? They're little like diodes, which are like green, blue, and red, but they create filters, yeah? What's a filter? So when you run white light, in white light, everyone knows that there's all the colors. White light is a composition of all colors, yeah? When you put a green filter in front of white light, what happens is that green filter blocks out the two point something million other colors and allows just that green to flow through. So that's what, and that's why it's called a filter. A filter means it blocks stuff, yeah? So when you're looking at a screen, basically, you're seeing the white light of your LCD screen filtered through millions of little colored filters, which means that really the picture that you're seeing exists within the white light. Any picture that you see on the screen exists in potential in the white light. And it's only by cutting away huge amounts of huge amounts from that white light that we start to see the picture materialize in front of us. You with me? So again, we're talking, this is what we call the Simpson. Simpson means Hashem has held himself back and it's the exact marshal, the exact analogy of the LCD screen that just as the LCD, the, the filters block certain amounts of that white light, which within the white light is all the colors. So too that Simpson holds back Hashem, so to speak, and allows for creation and reality to take place. It's very important to know though that the filters are made of Hashem also. Just like a turtle lives in himself, so to speak, that what Hashem uses to withhold himself is himself. So there's nothing else. Hashem hu Elohim, that's what we say. Hashem hu Elohim. Elohim is the, is the name of Hashem of constriction of holding back. And Hashem is his shame, etzem mean, meaning the white light, so to speak. And so the shame Elohim, the name Elohim, is what holds back the shame Hashem and allows reality to take place. That's another reason why we can say that there is nothing other than Hashem's oneness. Now, um, yeah, so 
we've understood two things right now. Number one, you are prepared to give your life for reality, meaning a Shem Echad. Number two, reality is a Shem Echad. Okay, so number one, we're prepared to give our life for God. Number two, a Shem Echad. There is only God. Everything else is just apparent, but it's not true. It's not truly, it's not, it's not, that's not the right word to say. It's not, God is reality. Everything else is a manifestation of that reality. So to hook on to something in this world as being independent of God is false. Now, free will. Again, we could talk about this for hours and hours. What's free will? Free will is not choosing between two types of yogurt. Free will isn't, choo- isn't even choosing between buying the car or going on the holiday. And free will also isn't, what well, it could be, but generally probably isn't whether you decide to go for a run or you decide to sit and eat the cake. Those are decisions that you make using your rationale, using your intelligence. And you make a cheshbon, you make an accounting, an evaluation of the pros and cons of eating the cake next to the pros and cons of going for a run. And if you're an intelligent person, you would go for a run. And if, you're, if you live your life by your emotions, then you'll probably sit and eat the cake. That's not free will, okay? Well, that it, it, well, it is really called free will, but it's not called true free will. That's called Bechira in Chabad. That's not, that's not called Bechira Chofshis. Bechira Chofshis is only in the realm of morality. And every moral decision is always the choice between one of two things. Anyone want to hazard a guess? Approach versus drawing back. Sorry? Drawing close or drawing away? Um, we, it, that's, yeah, that's right. I wasn't, I, I wasn't rethinking. I was thinking a more like easy way to understand it. What are you choosing? The two choices are between me and God. That is what it always boils down to in every single situation. Am I choosing my apparent existence? Or am I choosing his true existence? That's Bechira. Now, idolatry is not the act, it is also, it's not just the act of bowing to an idol. What idolatry really is, when we understand it conceptually, is bringing in another power other than God. That we say that God is not exclusive. He's not the only power. There's another God, for example, the God of rain, yeah? Or Panasa, the God God of earning money, means I need to work on Shabbos. I know, look, I would like to, ideally, I would like to, you know, sit sit in shul and I would like to sing mirrors and eat children. But look, there's, you know, a man's got to make a crust, yeah? That's called introducing another God. That's called the God of Panasa. You don't believe that God's in control. 
completely because there's this other little thing called the God of Parnassah that you have to, the way you pray to him is by opening your shop on Shabbos. The way you worship him is by, uh, you know, is by coming up with, uh, you know, tray for advertisements, etc. But then there's another, another God, which is the God of my appetite. Shem says, don't eat the trafe sandwich. And there's a voice inside you that says, I would like to eat the trafe sandwich. That's introducing another God as well. That's the God of your appetite. That's also a void desire. It's also idolatry, conceptually. On an external level, it's not, it's not like punishable like idolatry is, but on a conceptual level, it's exactly the same thing. So what the, what the Rebbe comes along and explains, he's explained this at the beginning, that the 248 positive mitzvahs are all um, comprised in the first of the Sarasadibras, Anoichi Hashem, the first of the Ten Commandments, and all the 365 ne- negative prohibitions in the second, Yelcha, which, is, uh, uh, which is idolatry. And like we just said, whenever we go against Hashem in any way, um, intentionally go against the Shem in any way we have introduced another God and that is tantamount to idolatry or you could say that is idolatry on a conceptual level and what the Rebbe said before is that you would give up your life to not commit idolatry so why is it that we why is it that we're able to sin but we wouldn't be able to bow to the idol the answer is what the Rebbe says is called a rushtus, is that we've made some kind of arbitrary judgment that um, biting our nails on Shabbos or scratching our pulling out hair or whatever on Shabbos or whatever it is, whatever kind of small, uh, small thing we're doing, even eating before Havdalah. What about that one? Eating before you've made Havdalah after Shabbos. We've made some kind of arbitrary, arbitrary distinction between that and idolatry. When in truth, going against the Shem's will in any way is idolatry. And this is basically how the Rebbe kind of puts it together, is that if you're prepared to give up your life for Hashem, so as not to break the unity of Hashem, then just be real with what it means, mitzvahs and avayus. All mitzvahs are the ultimate merging with God. Okay, the red, this is chapter 23 that we could talk about for hours and hours. But basically, in a ridiculous nutshell, um, when we do mitzvahs, we become what's called a makava, a, uh, a chariot, like a vehicle. When we learn Torah, we merge completely with God. So either way, whenever we're doing mitzvahs or learning Torah, there's a tremendous merging with Hashem. When we do an Avera, no matter what Avera, we are separating ourselves from Hashem, ultimately, to such a degree that we go beyond the lowest level of all of creation, because even like, you know, predatory animals and mosquitoes and the very lowest of all creations don't actually go against Ratzon Hashem. So when we go against Ratzon Hashem, we are completely dislocated from God. The reason why the world was created was for us to merge with God. When Hashem created the world, he said, let there be light, let there be the sun, let there be grass, let there be fish. But 
we didn't know why there was a sun, why there's light, why there was grass, why there was fish. It was kind of a disappointment in a sense. There was all this stuff and we were like, wow, that's really amazing and interesting. Yeah, but why? What's the point? By the Aseris Adibras, Hashem revealed to us the why. Why is there grass? So that you don't wash your hands over it on Shabbos. Why is there, why is there cows? So you can wear to fill in. These are the reasons, the mitzvahs are the reasons why the whole world exists. There's no other reason for this world. That's the point of this world. Torah and mitzvahs is the reason why there is this entire unfathomable creation just so that the Jew can do Torah mitzvahs. So now to tie it all back, this is basically in a nutshell, the whole, the whole class, the short way. Okay. Instead of the long way, which is years of thinking that we don't, this doesn't putter us. This doesn't exempt us from the long way. Yeah. The long way is the long-term project that we should be immersed as much as we can in Hashem, in, in thinking about Hashem, in talking about Hashem, we should constantly be moving all conversations and all thoughts towards Hashem. You see a beautiful tree out there? Don't just go, oh, that's beautiful. Tie it back to the Boinashoyim. You have a beautiful experience with one of your children? Turn it back to the Boinashoyim. Say thank you and, and marvel at the, the, the rich, the rich relationships that we have access to in this world you see an amazing uh, you see an amazing piece of technology marvel at the mind of the human being and then think about the mind that created the human being etc etc that's the long goal that's the long path that we 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 have to be walking on the whole time but this is the short path number one i'm prepared to die for god rather than compromise i'm, I'm prepared to die for god rather than compromise my connection to him in any way okay and Hashem is real Hashem is reality there's nothing other than him all morality all choice is between his true existence and my temporary or apparent existence and when I choose my own personal agenda over his agenda that is basically idolatry, which means I am becoming dislocated from reality. And as we said before, I would rather give up my life than do that. So you could just end it off like this guy. Think about the, the workaholic who you would say to him, you love your kids, yeah? Why don't you spend time with them? Why are you neglecting your relationship with your children? You would give up your life for your children. And he would say, for sure. I'm like, but why are you in the office 16 hours a day and you come home exhausted, you shout at them and then go to bed? And he'll just look at you like this. I don't know. And that's exactly the advice the Reb is giving us. Don't be crazy. We, we are here. We would give up our lives for God, meaning we see his reality as true and our reality as apparent when push comes to shove. So be What's the word? Have integrity. Live it. That's basically, in a nutshell, the way I understand chapters 18 to 25. And it doesn't require his bonus to do that? Um, well, not on the same, not, it, not in that it 
not in the first way that it actually changes your emotions. This is just like an intellectual understanding of like, look, I'd give up my life for God. Therefore, I can uh, give up this pleasure or, or give up this this availer, this sin. That that makes yeah. sense. It's not it's not that you've actually changed your your inner emotional world. Any questions? Yeah.